You're listening to Builderpedia, your go-to podcast for everything you need to know about property. By covering the entire journey from buying your home through to design, building, selling and everything in between. We'll help you fill in the blanks and bring your property vision to life. Welcome to the latest episode of Buildopedia. I'm excited to have our fellow podcaster and fellow inner Westie, Veronica Morgan. Thank you for joining us, Veronica. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Matt. I think this is a really a milestone for Buildopedia because I asked Veronica to come on our podcast a while ago and, and basically I think my memory, not, not in these exact words, but I think, Veronica, you said, I'll come on when it's a bit less shit. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been my exact words because that's something that I'm likely to say. But I also didn't want to just say that and then not give you some constructive feedback. So hopefully, no, you, hopefully you found it constructive. <laughs> you were great. It was hugely helpful, but I, I feel like we've progressed. Like, I, feel like, I feel like we've taken it to a new level and Really, I'm very grateful that you've, you've come on and I'm very grateful for you, for all of your feedback and support. I just want to make sure people listen to you, see? <laughs> so, Veronica, I'd like to get you to tell us a bit about what you do and you're obviously, you're a podcast veteran. You've been podcasting as long as I've known about podcasts, I think. I don't know. Oh, I'm a newcomer. I've only been podcasting for five years. <laughs> <laughs> Some have been going 10. A rural veteran's been going for 10. Okay, well, you're in my eyes, you're totally a veteran. So tell us about your podcast and, and what you do. Okay, so I'm a real estate agent, right? That's basically what I am, you know, in terms of qualification. I've got other qualifications as well. But so I'm a real estate agent. And fundamentally, what I do is put together programs or create programs to help people make better property decisions. And so I've got a couple of businesses. And one of my businesses is a buyer's agency, which is um, based in Balmain, which is obviously, I guess, how Matt and I first came across each other. And that's been going now, what, for 14 years. But I've also got an online, I've got a joint a partnership with another buyer's agent and we have an online program for first home buyers called Home Buyer Academy, Your First Home Buyer Guide. And I also have a mentoring program for new buyers agents as well, which is fairly recent. I've also, I've written a book and I've got a couple of podcasts. Um, one is called The Elephant in the Room and that's a property podcast, despite the name. And we like to explore the things that don't typically get talked about around the property space. So it's around the big stuff and the small stuff, a lot of it around human behavior and, and how individuals um, can stuff up their property journeys or enhance them depending on, <laughs> on their, their biases and their behavioral biases. And also we look at the, the, you know, the macro market as well and we get expert guests on to, to tell us what's really going on in the big picture. And I also have another podcast called Your First Home Buyer Guide for First Home Buyers. So that's sort of in a snapshot wraps up what I'm up to. So do you ever forget? Because you're doing so many different things. Do you, do you sometimes forget about one of those? And <laughs> I have. Yeah, I have. Um, in fact, <laughs> I had this sort of veronicamorgan.com.au website that was largely dormant and was hanging around from when I was on television, right, 10 years ago. And I got that revamped last year as basically like a triage site for everything I'm doing because I was, people say, well, how do I find out about, well, if you want to do this, you have to go there. And if you want this, you have to go there. It was getting a bit stupid. So um, I've got it all in one spot now. So that that helps me not forget. Well, I, look, I, I love it. I, I think you're definitely an inspiration. And I guess as someone who's just 
naturally distracted like I am, I'm, I'm like, well, it's validation that it's okay <laughs> to do many things and try many things. I probably always have one more thing that I should have on the go, but you know, that's, yeah, I'm a little easily distracted as well. I have to rein it in, even to that. Do, do people <laughs> say, why don't you focus on something? Do people say that? But they do. But I guess, you know, I think, for instance, when I was a sales agent, so I originally was a sales agent in Balmain and, and I did that for six years. I focused on that. And then it was like, okay, well, I'm bored now. I need to do something else. And so I actually took a year off and had my daughter, but then I decided to become a buyer's agent. And then I felt like, okay, well, I've, I've got this under wraps. So I've sorted that out. Then I went and co-hosted a television show while still having the buyer's agency. And then you know, wrote a book and started a podcast and all these things, mainly because I do get bored. And once I get to a point of mastery, you know, your 10,000 hours are up, I'm like, all right, now what's next, you know? So that's, I guess, what drives me as well. And I'm just curious. I'm always curious. I can relate to that. I can <laughs> relate to a lot of that. And I, the reason I, I mean, the main reason I got you on the podcast is to really, I wanted to explore the dark arts of buyer's agent see and and that's your i guess if we can wrap up your expertise in a nutshell it's it's all seems to sort of circle around buyers agents or teaching people how to become better buyers so yeah buy around buying essentially and it's been one of those things where i've i've never quite been sure whether it's it's worthwhile doing it i guess maybe from my perspective I just started buying property myself, so I, I didn't really ever think to get a buyer's agent, but maybe that's that could be a, a good or a, or a bad thing in hindsight. Maybe I lucked out, but maybe I learned from mistakes. But I guess I wanted to flip it around, and, and maybe or maybe the first question is, do people really need a buyer's agent, and why? Why do people need someone like you to help them? Well, I guess... No, you can do it yourself. You know, let's face it. That's how the majority of Australians do buy property. They they buy property all by themselves. And there's that, that belief that we can, you know, something wrong with you if you need to use a buyer's agent. I know we've had some clients that have been a little embarrassed about admitting that they used a buyer's agent because they feel like in some way they're a failure and they've had to resort to getting expert advice and everybody else seems to know how to do it. Why would I need to use a buyer's agent? But the reality is that it's a... Information asymmetry, if you've ever heard of that concept, right? And every buyer goes into a purchasing situation with an agent where the agent knows a hell of a lot more of everything to do about that property, the vendor, the market, other buyers and all the rest of it than the buyer knows. And if you just want to balance up that information asymmetry, then that's a good reason to use a buyer's agent because at the end of the day, most buyers have got no idea what they don't know. Zero. I come across it all the time. I think, oh my God. And one of the, I mean, there's just so many aspects to this. It's not funny. One is just in due diligence in terms of the discoverable stuff that you could know before buying a property that you don't even know you don't know. So therefore you're not even going to go and look for it. And that is all over the place. And it's, it is different in different states. We're, we're in the inner west, right? So in New South Wales, there's, uh, prescribed documents that get handed over to every buyer from the agent in the form of a contract. And a lot of buyers think that that's all you need to know. They hand that to their, their solicitor or the conveyancer. They go and get a pre-approval. They might get a building and pest inspection or they get a strata report if they buy a strata. And they think that's it. Job done. Done dusted. 
due diligence done. And I can't, if I told you that that was scratching the surface, (laughs) if I could say that over and over again, it's just scratching the surface, right? And what buyers don't realize, it's not just the due diligence. That's just one aspect. And a lot of this stuff is totally discoverable, but they just don't know where to go or even that they should or could find this stuff out or even what to do with the information when they get it. And then there's the intel as to what's happening in the market. Really, how many other buyers are there? Really, is this a good asset or is it a crap asset? Would this sell well in a, in a slow market or is it going like off in a frog in a sock? Because it's a hot market, you know, that, and is the agent lying to you or bluffing? What is it really worth? All of that stuff, right? If you can answer that confidently, truly, without just thinking you know it all, like a lot of alpha males do, then knock yourself out. You don't need a buyer's agent. But I tell you what, there's a lot of buyer's agents that can't even answer those questions. So it's not easy and it's the uninitiated and the unaware. And yes, you should all use a buyer's agent, but there's not enough good ones out there anyway, so you can't. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of information there, but, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of ticking over and trying to relate it to my experience. I guess my own philosophy is certainly to buy somewhere I know. So do my own research and understand the space, but then just validate what's good value for that property at that time relative to the market. And so I'm, I'm a simple guy, you know, I, I just find, I work out what good value is. I put an offer in that I think is fair and then that's it. That's it. That's yeah. done. I don't, I don't get into games and complicated crap. I just go, there's my offer. Or I turn up with a checkbook at the auction and, but I establish what I think is good value. I guess I, I've probably been lucky in that I have a a solicitor who is incredibly painful to the, everyone around them, but goes through every bit of the contract and makes me understand and and really annoys the other the other solicitor, the corresponding Bendor solicitor, but really gets into every part to make sure that I understand what's happening. So I guess I've been lucky in in that sense that I've got someone a solicitor who cares, you know, essentially not just going through the motions. And that makes a big difference. So there's a lot of people that have solicitors that are, they might care, but if they're not property specialists, they actually won't know to certain things. I mean, the thing is that solicitor doesn't see the property, you see the property. And yep. often they don't even see the marketing for that property. So if you're not, you know, having really proactive conversations with your conveyance or your solicitor to say, look, this is what I want to do with this property. This is the, my plans with this property, et cetera, et cetera. And I presume you do, being a builder, then you're probably quite proactive in terms of a value add. But people often don't have those conversations with the right advisors. And so then they buy something and then don't realize that they you know, can't do anything about it. There's a classic story. In fact, I listened to one of your episodes where you were um, talking to a structural engineer about the house that collapsed over in... Um, Condor Park. In fact, I've recorded a video and I refer to your podcast on that too. So keep an eye out for that. (laughs) And it was an interesting chat because it was just two experts in your field just chatting about what probably went on. You know, it could have gone on. I shouldn't say probably, but could have got on the sorts of things that could have led to that happening. And I found that fascinating because I would have those sorts of chats with my podcast co-host um, for your first home buyer guide, for instance. And we quite often pick up a story that appeared in the in the news about some hapless property purchases and how they've screwed up, 
right, and how they've missed out. And it's usually on a current affair or some show like that. And, and the angle is, oh, the council's so mean and nasty. Oh, the seller was so mean and nasty or someone's so mean and nasty. These poor property buyers, this cost them a fortune, all the rest of it. And my heart does go out to these people. I mean, I don't want to come across callous. But the reality is a lot of uh, every single time we've deconstructed one of these stories, and it doesn't matter what state these are in as well. We've done some in Victoria, some in New South Wales, some in Queensland. All this information was totally discoverable. And there's a classic example recently of a couple that were on a current affair. They bought a property in Epping, um, side unseen I'm gathering, um, in 2021, we were all locked down. They wanted to renovate it, right? They've gone ahead and demolished it without council approval, which is just a total, you know, just let's not even go there. But before they did that stupid thing, right, they did other stupid things in buying it, in the buying process, right? And so clearly I would guess they had a, a solicitor look at a contract, but the solicitor, you know, there's a stormwater easement basically that precluded them ever building another dwelling on the block. Right. Now, they may have been told that. They may not have been told that. Who knows? Who knows? They may not have even had the contract looked at by a lawyer. Who knows? But if they did and if the lawyer has assumed that they're going to keep the current dwelling and not ask any questions, as many don't, about what your intentions are, or if the buyer clearly hasn't stated, look, this is what I'm thinking about doing with that property, as I'm guessing they didn't, then, you know, there's this huge mismatch. The lawyer's doing their job, the buyer's thinking the lawyer's doing their job, the buyer's assuming the lawyer's doing more than the lawyer's actually doing, and then they go ahead and just, you know, because my block, I can do what I want on it, whatever. Now they've got this block of land they can't build on and it's got no dwelling anymore. It's a park. They so was Aaron Affair sympathetic to them in terms of like... Of course it was, because saying the council are mean, the council are nasty. And I mean, I, it was heartbreaking, these poor people. They demolished without approval. Though. I know, idiots. I feel for them, but they're begging council to take pity on them. And the point, I mean, as I said, but even before they got to the point of demolishing, you know, there was stuff that was discovered, that stuff would have been in the contract and the zoning certificate. Like, I mean, this stuff's all there. They may have had a, a solicitor who just looked at the special condition. I've seen this. They look at special conditions and don't don't look at everything else. Like, it's amazing what some people think is conveyancing. Conveyancing actually technically is the bit between when you exchange contracts and when you settle. So you could have a solicitor that just says, yeah, 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 cool, go ahead, and then I'll sort it, I'll do the conveyancing. You know what I mean? Like anyway, so I mean that's just one example of you know you said you got a lawyer who goes to the nth degree, which is fantastic. Very few of them do. Yeah, I I guess I'm a bit skeptical if they demolished without approval. I'm a bit <laughs> skeptical about the whole story. Like, it's what? just like nuts. They just uh, honestly that, they man. came across as totally naive. Like but just I don't know that that's the case because if you're that naive, you don't. Yeah, I don't know. I find it hard in today's world that you would just start demolishing and hope for the best. And <laughs> that's what I mean. It's what sort of idiot would do that? But I mean, okay, so you're in the building game. What sort of contractor would demolish a house without approval? Uh, not a licensed one, potentially. No. So, <laughs> so that's why I'm skeptical. I'm like, I'm going. I smell a rat. I think they <laughs> wanted to demolish and hope for the best. I think they probably that. did. People have a go, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what happened in that instance, but I'm like, oh, it's the answer forgiveness, right. not approval. That one. 
Yes, exactly. Anyway, back to being a buyer's agent. Like, so, you know, I, I look at that and, yeah, I feel human sadness for these people, but at the same time, they totally and utterly are the masters of their own demise. They brought this on themselves and I'm going to be magnanimous and think they were just naive, but all this stuff was discoverable. They needn't be in this situation. But then again, they could just be those sort of people that just think, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Look, look I, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> Fair enough. But I guess, look, I have never used a buyer's agent for buying, but I have sold to buyer's agents. And I'm kind of, I was left thinking, and I take your point, different buyer's agents do different things. But at that time, I was thinking my impression of the buyer's agent is you've helped your buyer pay too much. Yeah. <laughs> that was my takeaway. I'm yep. like, they pay too much. And, I'm horrified. Were you really interested in getting them a good deal or were you just trying to get something over the line? So that's where I'm a little bit of a buyer's agent skeptic because yep. I've seen the flip side of it and I'm like, well, I was very happy from my end but i was like mm, were they really doing the right thing they definitely did engage the pulse and their the counter offer sailed over and we were at, well, at the time we were very happy with it yeah but um i was like mm, yeah i agree uh, and i have seen the same sort of thing and um i could pinpoint i could even i'm not going to but i could name buyers agents that have that reputation for good reason and they have that reputation because the agents have told me about them. The sales agents know who they are. And so this is one of the things that, you know, I often say to people, if you're going to be thinking about using a buyer's agent, go and talk to sales agents about who they think are good operators. But there's a big caveat here because the problem is some sales agents and buyer's agents are in bed together, paying each other nice little, you know, hefty referral fees. And so before you actually ask them who you would recommend, I would do your own research and come up with your own names and ask them what they think about those people. And before you ask them, give them the names, say to them, do you accept referral fees from any particular buyer's agent? Yeah. Because so it, sales agents can be a great source of that intel as to which of these buyer's agents really can you trust, but they also can be a source of a um, revenue <laughs> for each other. Well, that's a, that's a conundrum though because then you go, well, which sales agents can I trust to tell me which buyers agents I can trust? So yeah. It's turtles all the way down. And it- 100% there are. I mean, this is an issue, obviously, that is very close to my heart. It's one of the reasons that I started the buyers agent mentoring program because really I think there's only, well, there's a proliferation of new buyers agents out there, most of whom, when they hit the market, uh, have no experience and they haven't learned any of the skills to do the job in the their licensing process because the licensing process actually means that you can become a licensed agent. Now, it's a bit convoluted because New South Wales has changed things, but there's a, a backdoor way that some who want a quick way into the industry can get licensed in another state, that get mutual recognition. They haven't actually done one buyer's agent subject, let alone had any experience, and they set up business. 
So it is a very low barrier to entry. And when there's money involved and obviously high stakes decisions for clients, it's very, very concerning. So obviously, if you are going to be looking at using a buyer's agent, and, and I tell you what, I can tell you some stories about how we've saved our clients. But, you know, I, I don't say, oh, we knocked 100000 off and saved them this and did that, blah, blah, blah. It's much more complicated than that. And it's much more complicated than just saying I get access to off markets as well. You know, there's just so much more involved in providing that intel to give true advice and guidance to really add value. In the case of, you know, a buyer's agent, they have a reputation with throwing money at the problem. That's awful, but I hear it all the time as well. And it's an easy way out and it's it gets people off their books quickly. And I don't know how they sell it to their clients. I mean, but they obviously do. Yeah. My curiosity is... Is there some way, like, okay, there's there's good buyer's agents and there's average buyer's agent and, and there's people who have no idea. I think one of the first things is how much of that is a local, they have to be local, right? Oh, I, yes. I well, I'm presuming from my experience in property, like I don't buy, like I have a rule that I don't buy property somewhere that I can't walk my dog and that's it. That's where I buy. Well, that's also called home bias. So you can go the opposite way, right? So if you only buy in a tight area, then you're probably doing yourself a disservice because yes, you know that area, but as an individual buyer, I mean, it's different. I mean, if you, your business is to buy properties, renovate them, sell them, right? Or build them and sell them, then that's fine, right? That, that's knowing your market, right? As a buyer's agent, obviously you need to be a local specialist to really add value. My business, we do a 10K radius of the of Sydney CBD and outside that, it's unusual we, we venture outside of that area because we're just we're concerned about the degree to which we really add value and that local knowledge is really important. There's a type of buyer's agent who'll buy anywhere. Like you just tell me where you want to buy and they just, or they're very data driven. The investor, investor houses that they, we call them fly in, fly outs, FIFO, FIFO buyers agents. And they use data to determine a location to invest in. And then they go and just buy up, you know, whatever they can get their hands on. Anecdotally, I hear stories of local sales agents and local buyers agents in those areas that are targeted by some of these investor houses and the, the, they just pull their hair out, the, the crap stop and the price is being paid by unsuspecting investors who would have no idea, but they've believed the data. And data is a great way to spin to investors because obviously buying property is, is a lot of money. There's a high, high stakes, high risk. And so people like to mitigate that risk in their brains by saying, okay, well, if there's data to support that, it must be a good decision. And so data can take you so far. But if you don't know how to choose the right asset in any given area, then you can undo any benefit from having chosen the area in the first place. And that goes in, in neck of the woods where my office is, Balmain. I've been selling and buying there for well over 20 years now. There's been people who actually lost money in that area. So it's the blue chip area. It's the cream of the inner west crop, right? It's the icing, the cherry on top of the cake. But I do know people have actually lost money on property in Balmain, right? So you go, oh, how is that even possible? It's such a great area. Well, it's because they didn't buy a good asset or they overpaid for it and then sold it too quickly or whatever. They've made lots of mistakes or even they can lose money, might not be a nominal uh, loss, but they lose in terms of opportunity cost and they, they lose in terms of they don't even know how much they've lost because they never benchmark. They don't compare how they, what they could have done 
had they made different decisions, you know. And so this is the sort of thinking that a lot of people don't apply to the property purchasing process. And this is you want a buyer's agent that does apply that thinking, critical thinking, not somebody who's just an order taker and says, oh, you want one them? Okay, I'll go and get you one. You know, there's a lot of dumb ones like that around. <laughs> <laughs> they are dumb, you know what I mean? And their clients are even dumber, you know, like to not to outsource their, their knowledge, you know, to not even recognize that those people aren't experts. It's a shame, you know, but so I don't agree that all buyers agents should be fed. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think you made that clear. But uh, I think I was going to say 10 kilometers is a like, that's a lot of suburbs away. So I, I guess from my perspective, you know, maybe I would look and advise people around, even down to Glebe and Annandale and, and like I, I know those areas and maybe Dremoyne, but I kind of go, I know this, like for me, it's down to knowing the streets and knowing which streets people, how people perceive those streets. Yeah, um, it's important. But also knowing what is coming in terms of whether it's metro lines or, or, or whatever happening 10 kilometers is a long like phil well a lot of that's harbor i guess but um you you've know. got to remember i've got a team and also yeah. this is all we do right i don't yeah. also build houses you know buy Fair one enough. and then build it you know what i mean I, I we buy for clients that is what we do that's our job so i mean i don't I'm not that hands-on these days because I'm doing a lot of other things, you know, but I'm certainly involved in all of our, in all of our uh, client decisions. But, you know, I've got a team of buyers agents. So, so do they not, specialise in area, in specific places? They have uh, skewed to, yeah, so they wouldn't necessarily do all of that 10Ks radius each. Uh, they have areas of expertise, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But as a business, you know, we can do the 10Ks. Yeah, well, that makes sense. But the other question I had about buyers agents is, is there evidence that like, is, is there any data behind buyers agents getting you a better deal at some point or like, is it a belief system or is it something that, and, and again, I guess the problem is you've got so many people claiming, because if I understand rightly, you just need to be a real estate agent to be a buyers agent. So any, almost anyone who's can get their license can be a buyers agent. So you've got, a motley crew of people. Exactly. That's the problem. (laughs) So no, there is no evidence. Certainly individual buyers agents might have different evidence. I've seen certain, I've seen spreadsheets full of, oh, and this was the guide and this is what we got it for. And that's sort of stupid. I mean, that's, that's stupid. I mean, I'm cranky this afternoon, aren't I? Um, that, that's annoying because, you know, just because somebody asked a certain price doesn't mean that's what it's worth. And even then, oh, this is what the bank valuation is and this is what we got it for. I mean, just because the bank value price it at a price doesn't necessarily mean that's what it's worth either. Ultimately, what it's worth is what somebody pays for it, right? So there's lots of these sort of trying to claim, oh, this is how much I save my clients. I look at it as being a hell of a lot more holistic and complicated than that, right? When we go through our uh, a process of evaluating a property, there's there's a lot goes into it, right? I look at it, it's sort of like an iceberg. There's a tiny little bit that you see on the top that most buyers do, which is what I said earlier, go and get your contract looked at by a solicitor, get your building and pest inspection, get your pre-approval. I think that's it. Then most buyers agents will do a little bit more than that. You know, they might impress a button on CoreLogic or something and spew out one of those AVMs. They might get it. They might actually outsource it to a valuer that, you know, if they're really diligent or they might actually have the skills to price the property themselves. 
right? And that's what you want. You want a buyer's agent who's skilled and understands the local area enough to be able to put together a research, a well-researched price report so that you can go through and know that they haven't just pressed a button on some database. They've gone through and, and actually said, these properties are inferior. These properties are superior. The market has moved since these ones sold. And if you adjusted them, indexed them, they'd, they'd be around about this price now. The reason that one sold for that price was because the neighbor bought it and they paid massive overs. The reason that one sold for that price is because the buyer's agent bought it for their client and the agent told me they paid 700000 more than they needed to. That sort of intel, right? You get yep. that sort of intel and that degree of insight into your pricing recommendation, then when you talk to your client about what direction is the market going in, is it climbing? Is it on the turn? Is it the cusp of turning up or down? What do we need to be looking for? What are the signs we're seeing? How hard, how much do you want this, right? If we're going to play games, are you prepared to walk away from it? If we call the agents bluff and it turns out they're not bluffing, how are we interpreting the dialogue that's coming to us from the agent? Because, of course, we've heard it all before. Here they are. They're about to shape up to sell this thing prior to auction. They're not convinced they've got the competition they need. Guiding our clients through all of that messy myriad of what's really going on under the surface, that's what helps our clients be confident in whatever price they decide to pay. Yeah. If we go in blind, if it's a blind sudden death negotiation. And sometimes agents do this. They go, right, you got to give us your sealed offers by three o'clock on X day and that's it. No second bites at the cherry. We have to then go through a different conversation and process with our clients so that they are very clear that they could well be paying overs. Yeah. And they got their eyes wide open and the price that they're prepared not to lose the property for, you know? So these sort of really frank really open, really robust discussions with the clients that they make the decision with fully informed. That is what a good buyer's agent brings to the table. Our, our clients know if they're overpaying. They're making the decision themselves and with all the information at their fingertips. They also know if they're going to say, nah, that's our walkaway price. We are not going there. Yeah. You really get to the nub of their objective like you, you understand yeah. what's driving them and that's where your system and i can relate to that i mean we do, we do kind of the same thing i mean when a client comes to us and says well i want to do this and i want to do that and i'm like well you're probably not going to get your money back from that yeah development and they'll say well we don't care like they just say the next buyer can can worry about that <laughs> you know because that that's they're doing it for a different reason and they want it the way they want it and again, I can relate to that because we, we sort of go, well, as long as they know, as long as you know that maybe you're removing a bedroom to have a better master ensuite walk-in robe and you're, so you're, you're going. devaluing it. <laughs> you're, uh, technically, you're devaluing it, but for your own living situation, for your own, yeah. what, what you value is more important or like family space is more important or, or the way you live takes premacy over the investment, then that's fine as long as they know that there's a cost to that. Well, that's the thing. I think the consequences is just understanding that down the track, 10 years' time or whatever, you're going to sell that house, it could create a problem for you rather than – because I think a lot of advisors, shall we say, I've got rabbit ears around that, you know, they don't advise you of the consequences of decision. That's what I call the order taker rather than the advisor. The order taker says, okay, you want one of them? Sure, I'll give you one of them. It doesn't say, well, actually, do you realise that if you do that, potentially it's going to be harder to sell down the track? 
And yeah. that's going to cost you in terms of capital growth. And, oh, would it? Oh, right. Tell me more. You know what I mean? And then, oh, okay, well, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Or, oh, thank you. Now I can think about it differently. You know what I mean? That's really what a good advisor does. And, you know, I think being brave enough to say to clients, look, you're chasing a unicorn, <laughs> which is one of the reasons people become clients of buyers agents is because they spend years chasing unicorns. And finally they're, oh, I know, I need a silver bullet. I'm going yeah. to go to a realist, a buyer's agent because they get off markets that are underpriced. So we have to educate them as to the realities of the market. It's like, no, <laughs> unicorns don't exist. What's your secret for finding off market opportunities? I guess what's the, is that a real, you know, because everyone will tell you that, hey, they got this off market, that off market. And look, it's a lazy sales pitch from a buyer's agent to say, I'm get, my value add is that I get you off market. I tell you, this is the sales pitch for 90% of buyer's agents. I'll save you time. I'll save you money and I'll find you off markets. And it's like, okay, yes, we're going to do those and we're going to do all this other stuff. Cause at the end of the day, they are not the three core benefits of a buyer's agent, right? That's the easy, lazy one. And every buyer who's struggling to find what they want thinks that that's the solution to their problem. So that it's an easy sell because they go, yes, that's what I need. And it's like the buyer's agent who will sell you what you want rather than what you really do need will just cater to that. And then when you're signed up, then it's going to, you're going to be going, hang on, where's all these off markets you promised me? Because the truth is that yes, there are off markets out there. They are, we buy them, we get access to them, but they're not all great. And they're often overpriced and they're often their consequence of the agent hassling the owner because I really want to get a listing and the owner's not really that motivated to sell at the moment. So they don't want to invest in marketing. They don't want to invest in all these things that they need to do to get the re the property ready for sale. And they think, look, if I can get a quick and dirty and I can get top dollar, sure, why not? You know, make it easy for me and you pay me more than it's worth. Great. So on the odd occasion, you get a, a fair, fairly priced off market that's off market for legitimate reasons or just the timing happens to be perfect and the ducks all line up beautifully and we can go, yay, let's dine out on that one. But the reality is that most of them don't line up quite so neatly. I mean, I'll give you an example, a property I saw in Hunters Hill some years ago, I saw in the December was offered to me for $6 million from memory or six and a half even, I think it was six and a half million. And I was like, that's overpriced. There's no way it's worth that. We bought it in the April for 800,000 less, you know? So yeah, I know that's there. I got access to it as an off market. If I bought it as an off market, I would have uh, overspent my client's money to the tune of $800,000. That's not really so doing the job. a little bit of a myth, really. It's not, because when I first, well, initially I, I thought off markets like, really off market but it's just in a secondary market through the agent that's not it so it goes out to their sort of yeah. mailing list and there's not really i mean you, unless you know something i don't there's not like a secret no there's not this secret market there's, there's this, no secret there's no secret off market that, that, that <laughs> the secret knock about. you go in the secret knock at the back door of the bar and you get into this special room and you get access to all this <laughs> I guess off market. I guess off market te technically might be just door knocking all your uh, the potential. Look, but but you don't do that. 
or, or you do know what? You... I've tried everything in my time in the industry, right? So I first became a buyer's agent back in 2007. And, you know, I had all these theories based on my time as a sales agent of what was going to be the, the secret to success. And obviously door knocking was one of them. And what, and I have at times had to buy properties that way because, you know, I've had clients such as institutional clients. I bought for schools. I bought for nursing homes. And, you know, you knock on those doors and on average, and I'd, I'd researched this beforehand and I have to say my own experiences back this up, on average to knock on somebody's door, you really need to be prepared to pay 20% over market value in order to entice them out of that house yeah, or out of that property. And that, that pretty much stands true. So when people say to me, oh, are you going to door knock? I said, sure. Are you prepared to overpay to the tune of 20%? Oh, No. I want a bargain. Well, if you want a bargain, you need to go where people are motivated to sell, not where they're not motivated to sell. Because if they're not motivated to sell, you are not getting a bargain, right? And in fact, I'll couch you or coach you on, on a bargain anyway as well. In, the, <laughs> in good areas, there's very, very rare bargains. And if it is a bargain, it's for a reason. And generally, that means you don't want to buy it. So the thing is with the off markets is that, you know, it, it, the agents use it as a way to get listings. It's a way to, to sort of get their foot in the door. Every now and then there's a true off market that absolutely does not have any online presence whatsoever. There's no photos. There's no floor plan. There's no nothing. And so they'd be a very small percentage of the, the off markets that are out there. And most off markets are really pre-markets. They're basically what the agent is, as I said, the agent's got their foot in the door. The agent's trying to get them signed up to an auction campaign, depending on where, where you are located. Certainly in inner Sydney, it's auction. And so there, it's, it's the drip fee. It's the, um, the sunk cost thing. It's like, you know, it's once you started the, pro- no, it's what it's called. It's called, um, consistency bias, right? Once you're in it, once you started the process, you sort of go, Oh, I might as well continue, right? That's what the agents are hoping. Bias. Yeah. That's what the agents are hoping for. And so sometimes if someone's silly enough to pay a huge amount of money up front, because it happens to be perfect for what they want or whatever. Or a deal can be struck for a reasonable price. We have bought properties under those circumstances if it is absolutely right for our client. But we have to assess, you know, what their expectations are versus really where it's worth and whether whether or not we're better to wait for it to come onto the open market or not. So next time someone's bragging about their off-market purchase, I'm just say, well, yeah, you've, you've paid a premium. <laughs> well, Odds are that they have, but it's also on the flip side, back to the people who are after unicorns all the time, there's usually this story about, but my friend, they bought this house on this great street with this great aspect and these great amenities, blah, 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 blah. And they only paid, you know, $3 million. And so if that, they could do that, I know there's got to be another one out there for me. And then when we look it up, we find out they didn't pay 3 million, they paid 4.8 or something like that. There's all this misinformation out there as to how how easy it is to get these, you know, great bargains and off markets and you think, oh, boy. Yeah, the, I think the great bargains are actually staring you in the face sometimes and they're properties that have been on the market and bombed completely for whatever reason. Sometimes, I mean, as my experience, I guess, from the Balmain area and the inner west market is that, that it's a little microcosm and, and sometimes people are just on holidays and they yeah. just don't turn up to auctions. And so the best bargains I found are things that bomb or get missold or get, you know, sometimes what really should be sold as a renovator gets badly tarted up, gets furniture brought in. It's a marketing disaster. Yeah, I agree. 
and it's just sitting there. And, and I've had this so many times where people kind of go, how did you buy a property in Balmain for th- this much? And it's a freestanding house. And it's like, and I just say, well, no one else was interested. <laughs> it was sitting there on the shelf. But you, you can fix it, right? Because that's your area of expertise, right? So I often see that exact thing with if they should have sold it as a renovator, not try to, you know, make it look like it's a family home. Another one is a classic. The, the vendor insists that they market it as a four better and that the fourth bedroom is this tiny little sunroom tacked on the side somewhere. And you go, it is not, and, and the living room, the living area is not, substantial enough size to be balanced for four better. You know, you just go, don't make the agent do things that are not in your own best interests. You know, like you choose an agent, you take their advice in terms of how to best market that property. And if you've got someone that is like the order taker buyer's agent, just, okay, I'll do whatever you say, then get another agent. You need someone who knows how to work the market. There's certain markets where you can sell anything, even on Mullen Street, you know. <laughs> I'm famous for never having bought on Mullen Street. It's a busy street coming into Balmain, if anyone if anyone wants to know. It's noisy and it's narrow and buses go up and down. And look, Lots of buses. And there's, you know, half times the traffic jam these days too. So in a hot market, even properties on Mullen Street will get buyers quite easily. But in a slow market, nobody touches it with a barge pole, right? Yep. So you could argue, oh, well, that house on Mullen Street's hung around for a long time. Well, that's because it's on Mullen Street. It doesn't matter what price that is. That is never a bargain in my view. Maybe if you want to flip it and you hope to time the market and sell it on a rising market, you might do all right, but you're relying on a lot of luck to do that. I'd rather recommend people buy in better streets. So the, the simple fact is that agents can ruin sales. Vendors can ruin their own campaigns. A big thing also is the quoting price. Now, under quoting is a thing right? We all know it's a thing. And the reality is that buyers play a part in this whole underquoting thing. I'm not here to bash agents because we do vendor advisory in our business as well. So we help people help guide them through the, the selling process. And we work with, we help them choose the right agent to sell the property. And we work with that agent as well through that campaign to make sure that we provide them the best guidance from all sides, right? So our, our vendors get really good guidance particularly in difficult markets, right? And I can tell you that if the guide, if the quote price is too high, buyers will add a certain amount of money to it and they will just stay away from it in droves, even if it's a good property. And agents are always complaining about this, you know, like I want to quote what I think it will sell for, but I can't. So everyone plays a part in this. That's why it gets me, I get really irate when I hear all these sort of media stories banging on about underquoting. It's a thing, but until the legislators actually change the laws to make it, to force everybody to quote accurately, then it's going to continue because you can't have those agents that want to quote accurately because they'll be disadvantaged compared to the ones that underquote, right? It's just the way it works. Yeah. But I guess, I guess good agents make a big difference in, in the price, right? It's, Huge. Is this something, yeah. Huge a good, difference. A good agent, a good agent. I mean, it's just, such a no-brainer yep. to have a great agent on your side when you're selling. A hundred percent. There are, we have eight different avatars in our business that we, you know, types of buyers, types of agents. And so when we negotiate with them, we've obviously got to be considering, well, what type of agent are we dealing with? What's the, how are they motivated? What sort of conversations are they going to be having with their owner? Right. And this is the thing. When we're negotiating, we've got to work out, are we negotiating against another buyer? Are we negotiating against the agent? Are we negotiating against the vendor? Who are we actually negotiating with? What we do and how we handle that changes. We don't just go and go, there's my offer, 
I think I'm quoting you, that it's fair, <laughs> take or leave it. We don't do that ever. You know, we don't get every property we go for either. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say, oh, we're so good. We do this, we do that, and we never lose. But we know how to work it, right? We know that there's times to do one thing and times to do something completely different. And so these agents, when they're selling a property, particularly in a slower market, oh, my God, you can really see the ones that are having more withdrawn listings because they just don't know how to manage their owner and they don't know how to negotiate with buyers under those circumstances. They don't know how to price it properly. You know, they just, they're out at sea. And some of these people have been doing this a long time. It's just that they've only, you know, they're only good in a good market. They're only good in a hot market. They're not good in a slow market. So your choice of agent, choosing an agent that knows how to adjust their approach based on, what's happening in the marketplace and how to respond, how to make the most out of what's happening, that is critical to a good sales outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess flipping the script a little bit and kind of going, all right, if I know that I've got a buyer's agent on the other side, like what are some tips to get them to pay <laughs> too much? <laughs> how, do I, how do I get the buyer's agent to get like – how do I get a better price out of a buyer's agent? Well, it depends. If you've got one of those ones that wants to get their, their client off the books and the agent knows exactly how to deal with them, they just use all the dialogue in the book, they swallow their hook, line and sinker and come to the party. The thing is that even dealing with a, a buyer's agent such as us, you know, like the agents, I would be very surprised if a local agent would say, oh, yeah, they're a pushover. But there have been times when we have gone in hard because – it was appropriate for our client situation at the time and how we read the competitive situation. And we don't want to be called bluff though by the agent, right? And so we make our own assessment. And so, you know, in terms of working with someone like us, we're just going to be there. We're going to have a clear strategy and we're going to play that strategy out until we either buy it or we walk away right? If you want to get the most out of selling to a buyer's agent, if your agent says to you that you've got a buyer's agent, ask the agent, have you dealt with the buyer's agent before? Are they that type of buyer's agent that overpays? And if they are, go to town. And can you let us in on that strategy? What's, I, I guess, assuming that it's a straightforward, no-nonsense sales agent, not one of those curly ones that you just have to chase through the jungle and back again, but just a normal Straight shooting sales agent. What's your what's the secret strategy for the agent? Should use the same strategy, really dealing with all. But like in terms of, it doesn't matter who the buyer is. They're going to have their way of working to get the maximum price. If they're that type of agent, some agents aren't. Don't work that hard for their vendors either. Let me tell oh, you, absolutely. Some absolutely. are bloody pushover. Yeah, because they earn their fee, and that they're just happy to get the deal done. Well, you know, an extra hundred thousand dollars on what one and a half percent, it's not a huge amount of money, so they don't, they're not going to push too hard. So it all comes down to your agent. You shouldn't have to coach your agent to be able to get the best most out of a buyer's agent. The agent, if they're any good, if you've chosen a good agent in the first place, should know exactly how to deal with that buyer's agent. Okay, so that's the first bit of the strategy. Yeah, <laughs> choose the right agent. agent. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, okay. So, but if you're an agent listening, if I'm an agent, managing a buyer's agent? What do I do differently than I do with buyers, I guess? How do I get the deal done through a buyer's agent that might be different or, or, or is it all the same? Well, it's not all the same. Like for, for example, when we're working with an agent, 
rather than give agents, you know, intel on how to get the most out of how to screw more money out of a buyer's agent, I'll, let me just give you a little bit. I'll flip flip it back, right? So we work with a sales agent. We're going to work out what their method is, what their process of sale is going to be, right? Because they're not all the same. And so most buyers don't even think to ask that question. What process are you going to use to get this thing sold? Once you get an offer, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? And so we will then work out our strategy based on the intel that we get back from the agent and also whether we assess whether they're bluffing, whether they're do we trust them? Do we trust the information they give us? There's a whole bunch of other things. And, and effectively, when we're buying a property for somebody, I, I'd say the visual is like it's a jigsaw puzzle. We start with probably got the corner pieces, right, and maybe some of the edge. And what we're doing, every little bit of information we're filling in that jigsaw puzzle. And we never get every single piece in that puzzle, but we can sort of fill in the gaps. And we're always got our antennas sort of keenly aware because if something comes our way that is – out of step with what we were assuming was in one of those gaps, we then need to adjust, right? We pop the piece in. And so we're always doing that. Most buyers don't do that because it goes back to they don't know what they don't know, right? So they can't do that because they actually don't know how to do that. They don't even know what they're looking for and they don't know how to interpret the information that comes to them via the agent. When an agent says certain things to us, we know that we can tell what they're doing. We can tell if they're going to try to sell it prior to auction. There's certain things that they do. We can tell that they're working with the buyers and they're trying to, to test, you know, how many buyers they've got at a certain price. There's all this stuff that they do that the average buyer thinks, oh, they've got an offer coming in tomorrow and it's at X dollars. Yeah. I think the thing I found with agents, like the difference or one of the core differences is they can sniff out who's a genuine buyer. And who's not like that's yeah. that's the big difference that I found. Whereas dealing with your average agent, they're just not. It's kind of all just a big washing machine of people coming through. But they could really good agents have a nose for what's a genuine op- selling opportunity. Who's actually really interested? Who's got the money? Who's got like they seem to know and and predict is going to unfold and who's going to probably, who's not really genuine and is going to drop away. So they focus in on those genuine buyers. So, so how do you, what's your strategy for honing in on genuine opportunities as opposed to, you know, there's agents around who you're like, they, they show you, they have a property listed, they show you through it, you follow up, you're like, what, what is actually happening here? What's the, what's the deal? Um, it feels like a fishing expedition. Yeah, we have those conversations internally all the time. It's like this agent is not behaving with any sense of urgency. What's the deal? Is this a real vendor? Is this a real – are they really going to sell? So then we have to have certain conversations with that agent. We have to go on our own fishing expedition. So we've got our own dialogue that we use that goes out there and goes, right, so now we sort of start poking and prodding and asking the questions that we ask, then we can say, right, that they're not sellers. That's not going to sell, right? We are going to be barking up, you know, that tree forever, you know, like we'll just wait until circumstances change. And other times we'll discover, oh, actually, they really do want to sell. The agent's an idiot. <laughs> Agent doesn't know what they're doing, you know. All right then. Well, we're, let's, we'll run it then, shall we? And we've been puppeteers many times where we go, this agent actually does not know how to get a deal together, but we do. And we know that this is a good property and we will just, we will work it. There's been times like one of my team, Rachel, bought a property a few months back and, you know, the client was actually sending us messages this morning, which is a classic, to 
you know, they're very happy in their new home. And the owner who they bought it from was telling all the neighbours that, that they hate the, the buyers because they, they got it at a steal. And, you know, the, apparently they need a new fence, which we all knew, we knew about, but apparently they were sort of holding off deliberately because they thought that the new owner should pay for it um, because they got a steal. I mean, it's a silly story, really, in the end of the day. But I love the fact, it's great PR for us, that the whole neighbourhood, you know, knows that the owner feels ripped off because our clients bought it at a steal, right? The real reality is that if that owner was left to their own devices, they would have absolutely never sold that house. These clients got us involved at the 11th hour, literally the week prior to auction and said, you know, we really want to buy this house. We didn't think we we're going to be ready, but we've got the finance ready now. So we had a very short time um, frame to do the tur- to turn around the due diligence. We did that and it was too tight to make a pre-auction offer. And, we, and I don't like making them in the week prior anyway, because lots of reasons, but um, it's not strategically usually the best time to make them. So we all plan to go to auction. We turn up at the auction and the agent says to us, and we know this agent very, very well, and he says, right, well, um, I expect three of you. You're the only ones here so far. If nobody else turns up, we'll just open up with the vendor bid at X dollars. And I just said to him, well, that would be silly. And he went, why? And I said, because if you open up at a vendor bid at X dollars, we won't be bidding higher than that. So if you want us to bid, I wouldn't do that. If you don't want us to bid, that's fine. Anyway, so we get in the end, there were three of us there. And in the end, they don't even give it five seconds. They open it up with the vendor bid at that amount. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. Of course, nobody does anything. Everyone just packs up. And I'm like laughing, like, what the hell's going on? To me, Rachel and I are just basically immediately like, right, that vendor's completely out of control on price. They've instructed the agent. They're telling the agent how to do the job. You know what I mean? They're, they're, sh- they're shot themselves a foot. They're ruining their own campaign. They had three people registered to bid. Let the buyers bid. Don't come in with a vendor bid and, and basically slam the door shut in every buyer's face. Who knows what they could have got to had they actually let the buyers put their hand up in the air, right? But we know how to interpret that. So it took a while for the agent to finally admit it to us, but he went, yeah, that's exactly what the story is. So then we get the backstory. Then we finally find out that these people were trying to do, they're trying to screw a deal on another property in another suburb. So Rachel gets on the phone, finds out who's selling that property, has a chat with them, finds out the backstory of that. She effectively brokers the deal and opens the door so that they can buy that house so that then <laughs> then they're ready to sell to our clients for a fair price. That's right? kind of mischievous and awesome at the same time. Mischievous and awesome, right? You want to know the value of a buyer's agent? A, those people will should have paid us too, quite frankly, because without that, they never would have got their deal done. But we wanted to get our clients wanted that house, right? They yep. wanted that house. And so rather than just pay the money that they wanted, right, which any other buyer's agent without those skills could have done, we don't go and pay the money. We go and work out what's the other way we can skin this cat. Yeah, I love it. Mischievous and awesome. Mischievous and awesome. I'm going to quote that, actually. I'm going to say mischievous and awesome. I think that should be your tagline. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and I love stories like that. I've got lots. I can give you, I can sit here telling story after story after story about that, that type of being able to read the play and then know what to do. And that's the bit that inexperienced buyers agents and that's the don't know what to do. That's the bit that those who just think money or just off markets is the solution. They don't know how to handle that stuff. Yes, I love it. 
well, my wife bought a property before we met, bought a property off with a buyer's agent. And the thing that I didn't realize for her, it was just not, she found that she went to property inspections and, and started looking around and agents weren't taking her seriously. So that was a whole different thing that I didn't realize buyer's agent were for. And really just, she didn't know where to start initially to put an offer in or just to get the agent's attention. Like, because they may have just gone, oh, well, she's not, maybe they misread and, and thought that um, she wasn't a, a serious buyer. And so that's a really interesting perspective that I that I had no idea until I was talking to my wife about this upcoming episode right. and, and buyers agents generally. I should have added that into the, why would you use a buyer's agent? We actually have a lot of single women that use us and they do say that it is like having a sounding board. They appreciate the sounding board to be able to sort of work through these, these decisions. And it's not that men are better than women and they don't need one. It's just that men are more arrogant than women and they think they don't need one. But there's so many agents that just don't call you back as well. Like just, just as a rule, they just don't respond and you're kind of going, well, I guess I, I always get interested in it because I'm like, well, they're not responding. This is good. This is a good opportunity. Yeah, because yeah. They're not, You're not deterred they're, they're by a it. hopeless agent. So I kind of, I kind of hone in on them, even if I have to go to their office and bail them up and, and kind of go, or, you know, not, not that I've done this, but I was, I was always prepared to just get my solicitor to write to the vendor solicitor to say, Hey, there's an offer and I'm not getting any response from the agent. You might want to just pass this to the vendor from me because I don't know what, what actually is happening. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I guess that, that you put, I think I've spoken about this to um, Matt Hazen and yeah, it does, it does, it will sour your relationship with the agent. But yeah. at some point you kind of go, well, they're just so useless or they've got some, some other agenda. They sort of want to sell to someone because they're going to get the next sale and then there's a whole system. And that happens. And that happens a lot and I've seen it and I've seen definitely buyers favoured. Yes. Some years ago there's a classic situation where we're looking at a, a, a property for a client and we were, we were dealing with um, one agent in this particular office and there was another one that had been around a million years that I knew. I knew them. I knew them both. I knew I'd known them both for many, many years. But the one that the other agent in the office was well-known snake. And we were about to make an offer, and we were ready to go. And I spoke to the agent that we were talking to. She said, "Oh, it's too late because you know there's another offer on the table." And I'm like, "Well, it's never too late until it's exchanged." So I rang our client solicitor, because I suspected something was going down, who rang the vendor solicitor, who then said, well, actually, that agent, the snaky one, was sitting in their reception at that very time with that signed contract. And so my client's solicitor was able to say to the vendor solicitor, the timing was perfect, well, actually, we've got an offer on a contract for X dollars. If that's more than the other one, then let us know. And sure enough, it was. And, <laughs> but they, she was trying to white out not only other buyers, but the other agents in her own office. Like that sort of behavior doesn't go on that much anymore. That's real old school sort of 
real rubbish behaviour. But it can happen, and I've got so many stories of you know when we've gone to offices and stalked, staked them out, and all sorts of things. <laughs> I was wondering whether the agent, a stanky agent, is a technical term. Yes, it's one of our avatars. They exist, and so you've got to know how to deal with them. The ones that you know you can't trust a word they say, or a lazy agent who will go the easy route. You know, I love the lazy agent. Oh, yeah, but lazy the lazy agent, agent can sell anything. out from under you. Without you, you know, like if you don't make their life super easy, it's someone else does make their life super easy, they can sell somebody else without you even getting a look in. I prick up. Um, not bad, bad use of word, but I, I my ears <laughs> prick up. <laughs> when, I see, when, I see a la- when I spot a lazy agent, I'm like, yes, you're a lazy agent. Which is you're, great. You're- but, you know, when I first started being a buyer's agent, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to buy off all the shit agents, right? That's it. I, had, I knew all the shit agents. So I'm going to buy off all of them. Most of the time they have shit listings. Shit listings. List, you know, you, and yes. so that was like I had all these different fallacies that I was going to do. I was going to buy up on Mullen Street in a, in a slow market. I was going to flog it all on a hot market. And then I realized that trying to ride the wave of the market was just a fool's game. You know, so there's heaps and heaps of fallacies that I actually started off as a buyer's agent thinking I was going to become the cleverest thing since sliced bread. And then I realized very quickly that all that stuff is garbage. Yeah. And I I forgot, I always do this every time I forget, you can mention someone who's inspired you or a book that's inspired you or something. We, We always try and do that at the beginning every time I forget. But do you have something that you wanted to share? There's lots of people that have inspired me, lots of books that have inspired me, but I sort of looked at your your prompts and I thought I'm just going to talk about something uh, maybe a little left of field, and that is I just spent the weekend in Beechworth in um, sort of the high country in Victoria. I love Beechworth. Beechworth I love too, and Beechworth for lots of reasons, Beechworth wines in particular, I like cold climate wines, so that's, that's an amazing thing. But it is a heritage-listed um, town. And I just think to see something preserved so beautifully is, you know, it's just, and it was great to be there with friends, got friends that own a pub there and whatever, but, you know, just to to be there, to be in such a beautiful setting, you know, lovely country around the area, all the rest of it, but just to be in this lovely town that has been so lovingly restored, I guess, but also just, you know, I heard the story about it and that they were, you know, it was a gold rush and after three years, basically, it was all alluvial gold, so it was just sitting on top, you know, and then uh, after three years, apparently, they ran out of gold. And so this whole town had been built in this record short time with lots and lots of money, heaps of money around, and then it was evacuated and basically it was a ghost town. And it's one of the reasons it's so well preserved is because nobody lived there for so long to screw it up. So I just thought that that was just an interesting little story and I found it a bit fascinating and um, given that I loved the place, I thought I'd share that rather than any other type of inspiration. No, that's great. That's great. And I love I mean, the thing I love about Beechworth, I guess I've always loved mountain biking and, and cycling. Ah. And, and it's an absolute, just, you can just ride out of town, start in the middle of the town, go ride in the hills and finish at the brewery. And there <laughs> better in the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on, a, on a beautiful Beechworth day. But that whole area is just, yeah, so always, I don't know, it's always like cleaner and the gardens are nicer. <laughs> yeah. Mind you, mind help, being, being on holiday always feels that way. But, yeah, I mean, think that the air is 
you're up high, so you've got yeah. sort of that sort of, you know, altitude air and all the rest of it. But yeah, I just thought it was, it was a wonderful place to be. It felt great being there. And I just really appreciated the fact that it had been abandoned and therefore, <laughs> and therefore has not been ruined. It's just a really beautifully preserved town. Yeah. Okay. We're both on board with Beechworth and, um, yeah, I've always, um, always had a great time there. And Bright, have you been to Bright? Yes, but Bright's not as nice as Beechworth. No, but Bright's got this magical thing where there's a brewery on the river. Yeah, yeah, it does have and that. It's, there's a platypus swimming just <laughs> there, right there. There's a platypus. I didn't see the platypus, but you know, oh, it, it's it's always it's one of those things where you kind of like think that platypuses are these elusive, like a bunyip creatures. <laughs> And there it is, swimming in amongst all the kids and the, everyone else, and the beers and the you know picnic area. And um, but yeah, are they're they're both. I mean, it's a different place. It's a much busier place. But but yeah, I mean, if yeah, holidaying is definitely a, a great holiday destination, whichever way. And just you can just get on a bike and ride and ride to the you know whether you mountain bike or whether you just want to ride to a winery and then a brewery and then back again. Like it's whatever, it's whatever you make of it. But yeah. um, just to wrap up, what are the free? We try and have free takeaways, and one of the takeaways is definitely that buyers agents are, are mischievous and awesome. Like that's well, definitely no. The takeaway the is takeaway. if you're going to use a buyers agent, make sure they're mischievous and awesome. Make sure they're mischievous and awesome. And I guess just to to round out the conversation, yeah, they're not all not all buyers agents are the same. Is definitely one thing, but that's the same with it, you know, whether you whether it's builders, whether it's real estate agents, whether it's like surgeons, they're not all the same. And that's one of the scarier things, you know, you kind of go, you, you presume that all orthopedic surgeons are kind of the same. And then you talk to people who are in the industry and they're not all the same. They have vastly different outcomes. Absolutely. But there's a big average. difference, both with builders and orthopedic surgeons versus buyer's agents. And that is that as a builder, you, you have to do an apprenticeship, right? And you get a license, which is skills-based, right? As an orthopedic surgeon, what you study for 12 years or something, you do your, your Bachelor of Medicine or whatever they call it, and then, and then you specialize. And so you're learning the skills and building that knowledge and there's in, in intensive. To become a buyer's agent, you get qualified in something else, i.e. real estate, as in the licensing course is very heavily skewed towards sales agency and property management. Anything buyer's agent related is like a tack on. And there's only four subjects you could loosely call buyer's agent out of 51, I think, subjects. There's 16 subjects that are the, for sales agent, just to give you the sort of the difference in quantum. So you can actually become a buyer's agent without any skills at all without knowing the simplest thing about due diligence or property searching or acquisition or assessing an asset for, you know, asset caliber or understanding what it's a good investment or not. You can become a buyer's agent without actually knowing anything about how to do the job. That's the difference. So you need to, if you're going to use a buyer's agent, you really need to better work out who really knows what they're doing and what processes they have they got in place that will protect me as their client and guide me as their client in a way that there's no way I could do by myself. And to find a good buyer's agent, you've got to find a good real estate agent to recommend the buyer's agent. And to find a good real estate agent, you need a buyer's agent. So you're 
I think I need to write a new blog actually on, on my website, which is, I said, ronicamorgan.com.au. There's one on gooddeeds.com.au, which is how to, how to choose a buyer's agent. And look, at the end of the day, of course, we're telling you how to choose a buyer's agent because, you know, we're buyer's agents, but. Does it just say choose Veronica? <laughs> of course, but it depends where, you know, only if you're in our area. The, the thing is that I actually do have a, uh, yeah, I've, I've, it's a fledgling, but it's I've put together a database of buyers agents across the country, and I've interviewed everybody that's on that list that I would recommend. I've interviewed and I've assessed them based on my criteria, yeah. and that is quite high. Not everyone makes that list. In fact, some of on my never to be on the list list, right? And the thing is that it is difficult to choose a good buyers agent. And the starting point is to go to REBA, which is the Real Estate Buyers Agents Association. And the fact is that not everybody who is a member is worth feeding and not everyone who's not a member is not worth feeding, but it's a good place to start because at least those people are trying to, I guess, associate with, or they're trying to sort of clear one little hurdle. It's a little hurdle. It's nowhere near big enough. And that's the starting point. And then you need to interview them and you need to know, you know, listen, after listening to this, you jot yourself a whole bunch of questions to ask them. But, you know, really need to work out, you know, what's your value proposition and then just zip it and let them tell you, I'll find you off markets and save your money and save your time. Do not hire that buyer's agent. When's the last time you told a client not to buy a property? There's a good one. Yeah. What's your due diligence process? How do you work out what it's a deal breaker? How would you advise me on the price that I shall pay? Those are the sorts of questions you should ask. Not what's your, you know, how many have you bought? How many have you bought like mine? Um, um, how much have you saved? You know, they're sort of questions people ask because they're wanting to do due diligence, but they don't know the right questions to ask. So I just gave you a handful. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of go, I would add to that check, like get references. Cause you, I mean, if I said, Veronica, can you put me in touch with people who you've represented? Cause I'm considering using you as a buyer's agent. I would think that you would put me in touch with people who you help purchase who would say. Yeah, okay. That. Here's the thing on that. Okay. For starters, there's this thing, there's a bias that we have, right, when we go and spend a lot of money on something and we think, oh, God, that was a good idea because if it wasn't a good idea, I feel like a total idiot. So, therefore, I'm going to tell myself it's a good idea, right? So, if you go and get a reference, you do a reference check with a buyer's agent, don't go to somebody who's just bought. Go to yeah. somebody who bought a year ago, two years ago, even better, five years ago. Has that buyer's agent got local experience? Have they been around for 10 years, right? If they themselves haven't got 10 years experience, are they working in a team where there are people with that length of experience that they that they all work as a team and advise each other and guide each other? You know, do they have that level of support and in insight, right? And then ask for some of the older clients to talk to because they're yeah, the yeah, ones yeah. you want to know. They're the ones stuck with that dud that they got you know, got <laughs> left with at some point. You know, they're the ones that... Yeah. that so the answer is yes, you would have client, former clients from no, a while. Totally, I've got... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that's the, you know, I guess if I give anyone any advice, it's do that due diligence and do it to the nth degree. And because from my own experience, I've, I've done it when I've been kind of trying to, you know, when a client puts forward, I've got this joiner or I've got this person that I want to use... And I'm like, well, do you have any experience with them? No, but they seem pretty good. So so I ask for like three or four references and I ring all of them. And then if I can't get through, I ask for three or four more and, and I keep going yeah. to the nth degree. But like I've always been amazed at the response I get. 
even better. <laughs> Some people go, yeah, that was sort of all right, but they didn't really deliver on time. And I'm like, oh. I can't believe they gave me that reference. Well, but that was what I was going to say too. With the buyer's agent, they love to brag about what they bought. So go on their website and just pick some random houses yourself and go, I want to talk to those owners. You choose yeah. who you want to talk to. You don't let them, don't let yeah, them cherry yeah, that's pick. A good that's a good <laughs> point. Pick the older ones, the ones that have been Definitely. some time ago. <laughs> uh, Veronica, thank you. Really appreciate you coming on and being so generous with your time. We've Pleasure. gone away over time. I but, know. Uh, See, so you get me started and I never shut up. So thank you so much for, for inviting me. You've been listening to Buildopedia. Please remember to like us and share our episode with your friends. We'd love your comments and suggestions. And we have a new website, buildopedia.au, where you can get in touch or leave a question and check out our blog.